you're ready to stop submitting basic applications and winging your interview for your next nursing role, whether you're a graduate nurse or a seasoned healthcare professional, we'd love to exclusively invite you to our secret nurse growth hub, where you can get all of the support to apply, interview and land your next nursing role completely free. All of the resources that we've shared and created over the last three years that have helped 3,000 plus nurses internationally apply, interview and land their next nursing role. So what are you waiting for? Come and join us today. It's completely free. LiamCaswell.com forward slash NGH. Come and join the Nurse Growth Hub today and let's make applying, interviewing and landing your next nursing role easy. Julie Blackburn is an experienced registered nurse, midwife and company director. She's currently employed as a nursing lecturer at the University of Canberra, covering casual shift vacancies at the local hospital maternity ward on weekends and contributing to the work of two local non-government agency organisations as chair of the board for the Capital Health Network and deputy chair for Karolika programmes. With extensive experience in advocacy, health promotion and clinical education, Julie demonstrates strong leadership and strategic thinking, including establishing and nurturing relationships with a diverse array of stakeholders, including local and federal government. Hello, you are listening to the High Performance Nursing Podcast with me, Liam Caswell, where I help clinicians just like you take control of their careers and remove all the things stopping you from achieving your biggest goals. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to this episode of High Performance Nursing. Welcome back. We are so grateful for your time today. We have got a fabulous guest, as we always do on the podcast. Today we have Julie Blackburn, all the way from Canberra ACT in Australia. Julie, how are you? I'm great, Liam. Thanks for having me today. I'm so excited to dive in and chat. Before we do, let me tell you about Miss Julie Blackburn. So Julie is an RM, midwife and an RN. Julie brings over 25 years combined nursing experience as a registered nurse and a midwife with currency in both roles through employment within the disability, oh my God, within the disability discipline of nursing at University of Canberra and at Calvary Public Hospital, Bruce. Julie is an experienced non-executive director. She's currently the deputy chair of the Karolika programs and spent eight years prior to joining the Capital Health Network on the board of directors with Defence Health and the Defence Health Foundation. Julie has direct experience in reporting to ministers at both local and federal levels, including as a member of the ACT Ministerial Advisory Council for Women 2014 to 2018. Well, I really butchered that, Julie, but I'm so <laughs> glad to have you here. <laughs> Let's dive in. Can you tell us a little bit more about your career and step us through kind of where you started and your career up until this point? Oh, sure, sure. Gosh, my career, like it's it's pretty much I've just collected jobs and it still sounds like I've got a great collection of jobs there. Hey, <laughs> So, you know, always wanted to be a nurse, went straight from school into nursing. Nursing had just gone into colleges then, so, and converted to universities in my third year. So that was, you know, as my children say, so last century. <laughs> and anyway, so I've heard along as a nurse and big hospital in Sydney, had the travel bugs that jumped overseas and did summer camps in America. 
came back, realized I needed to get my, convert my diploma of applied science to a bachelor of nursing. So I did that. And then I married someone in the Navy. So that meant I got moved around. Mm. So down to Nara I went, recognized the need to specialize back to Sydney. So I jumped into midwifery at that point. I'd been nursing about eight years by then and just thought, yeah, it's time to specialize. And I was just wanting to jump to the other end. I was kind of burning out on the, the dying end of the scale. So I did that. So, you know, as all good defence wives do, you know, you get kind of moved around and you make different jobs wherever you end up based on whether you've got childcare available, based on what else is going on. Mm. So I eventually landed in Canberra and, and jumped in a few different roles, went into some policy work, and that's where I first found some board work and the interest there and and then off we go. So now at the university, and we've been here happily for a good eight years, you know, longest employment <laughs> ever. But yeah, it's been great. I love that. I love that you totally underplay the fact that you've had lots of amazing roles. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know, Julie, we worked together at the University of Canberra. And I love that you downplay that massively. It's true testament to typical nurses and midwives. We always <laughs> undersell ourselves. But throughout your career, obviously, you've had lots of different pivots, lots of changes, lots of opportunities. And I'd love to tap into exploring the challenge of being a mom, traveling wife, and being a defense partner, and then trying to make your career work. Because I know a lot of people are in a similar situation that might be listening. Mm. How did you make that work for you in your career? Yeah, look, wow. You know, it was things that um, I think initially I was going to work in theaters, you know, I wanted to be perioperative nurse. So I was down in Nara and I had an opportunity where they were going to train me because my position at that time was how do you become experienced if no one will give you the experience? Mm. And so they said, well, we'll give you a go. And then sure enough, a posting came up. I thought, well, that's goes that because <laughs> now I've got to get a new job mm. and begin again. So I enrolled into a graduate diploma midwifery then as well. So I was working, you know, some Prince of Wales orthopedics and then training midwifery. And the second year of the grad dip was your employee as a student midwife. So I got to work at St. George Hospital. It's a great loving it. Mm. Finish the course. Here we go. I'm going to get into birth sweep. I really wanted to be in continuity of care because of the great outcomes that that has for women. Boom, posting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and now my own pregnancy as well. So posted away to an area where, you know, on my own, access to childcare is a good 18 months waiting list at that time. Mm. So I really couldn't work. And look, and I had a, a baby, so not really a good time for me to be working anyway. And then boom, there's another baby too. Mm. So for those two years, it was just raising children really and getting my head around that job. Mm. And then there's another posting. So back to Sydney we go. So I had some family support there, touch base with St George again. Love to have you back. Actually, there's an opening here in our antenatal clinic. So perfect. It's mm. a two-day-a-week job. I could get childcare and support for kids on that one. So back in we go. And then I found my tempo there. I really loved antenatal care, still the 
antenatal education and my interest when I was training was certainly the role of the partner and how to engage the partner and get that big picture. And so working in that, started to train and get some qualifications in antenatal education, energy there, kids are starting to get a little bit older. Wow, I might be able to get in that birth suite again. <laughs> and then, boom, there's a posting. <laughs> mm. So pack it all up again. But at least I left Sydney at this time with a qualification as a parent educator and group skills training. Mm. So, and then went to Perth. So long way away, really. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, it's still in the same country, but it's a long way away. And again, alone, partner in the Navy, so and third child on the way. So that was about caring for kids again. Mm. And then came to Canberra. And so now my elders had started school and we used to say, we'd hang around the school car park with all the other orphans. <laughs> and, you know, we'd say, maybe if you hang around the car park long enough, someone might offer you a job. You know? <laughs> and that was the joke that we would run. And then one of the mums was a midwife and knew that I was too. And said, well, I've got this role that I'm moving out of. It's two days a week, antenatal care. Are you interested? Mm. So that's how I jumped back in and just start following the nose. It's always been about opportunity. What can I do with the environment that I'm in? Yeah. I'll just follow my nose on that one. I love that so much. There's so much in that that just speaks to kind of everything that I talk about in the podcast and all over socials and in coaching is it will always align, right? Your career will always line up. The opportunities always present themselves, but you have had to go and find them as well, right? Because you moved around so much. So you've sampled and you've explored. And like yourself, I always talk about being like a job gypsy. <laughs> like we move around, we have all these different roles and we explore these different options. But I think that that makes us a more well-rounded clinician. What are your thoughts on that? Look, I agree, Liam. Like, I, I think I was always super jealous and I've just been sitting in a role for eight years, delighted that I have long service leave building up. It's quite remarkable. And sick leave, wowee. <laughs> it's like I never knew what that was. So, you know, it's nice to know that's there and it's nice to have that sense of belonging. I did apply for one job and somebody said that you've had so many jobs, are you a stayer? Mm. And I said, I am. Now, Now, when I came to Canberra, I, I did jump into this antenatal work and started to get into parent education. And again, I found myself at another crossroad. There was an opportunity to be a parent education coordinator at the hospital, or there was a role that was an advocate for defence families. And I was starting to see some, you know, some need for support in the defence family space and using my own personal experiences, but also what I would see through antenatal clinics. Canberra has a high defence population and I was just thinking there was some extra support needed. Afghanistan and the war was really kicking up lots of deployments, lots of stress. So I think the nursing me was starting to get a little bit feeling protective of these people and thinking, wow, they're not doing it right. <laughs> you know? mm. I think I'm, I'm seeing all this rhetoric come out in policy documents and family support manuals thinking that's not going to help anybody. <laughs> but not one to just complain at the problem. I think if you're going to, if that's something to say, you've got to jump in there and try and be part of the solution. Yes. So 
crossroad in my family where my partner is now getting deployed again and getting posted. But this time we made the decision that he would go to Sydney and I'd stay here in Canberra. And because his family had moved here, they were ageing, I had to look after them as well as children. So, so I stayed put. And I thought I would take a run at this role that was advocating for defence families. Also, it was a bit more flexible in the hours. I thought if I tie myself to a hospital, there's shift work there, there's weekend commitments, I wouldn't be able to achieve that as a single parent. So I took this defence job, which was this amazing leap of faith. And um, my friends, I'd said to them, but I need to know about government and policy. How am I going to do this job? And they said, just apply it. So yes, no answer. Mm. If I think you can, you'll get a yes. And if they think you can't, you won't. And I figured as long as I was wearing a good pair of shoes, I could <laughs> do anything. <laughs> so, I yeah. love it. That's so good. Yeah. So I landed that job. So I ended up being ministerially appointed to represent defence families and provide direct feedback to the minister the defence personnel and the chief of defence force on the needs of family. And during a time where mental health strategies were a big deal in defence, lots of support requirements were needed. If there's ever a job that I've loved to death, it was that one. <laughs> I was out of my comfort zone so many times, but wow. You know, my friends that encouraged me to get this job had said, you know, we often just used to chat about being a midwife when we were saving the world one birth at a time, <laughs> you know, one class at a time, making a difference. But realised if I could get in the ear of a policy maker mm. and change a policy or a legislation, there's a lot more people I can help with that. For sure. Yeah. I love that. That is so amazing. And it's such a testament to your character and also for everybody listening to follow your gut. Like if you really want to do something and you have all of the self-doubt coming up and the imposter syndrome and all of the reasons why you can't do this, maybe take a breath, a deep breath, and realise what you can gain from this and what it will require of you and what it will make you become. So it sounds like it's left a long-lasting impression on you and you've probably taken lots of those things as you moved forward throughout your career. Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, for sure. I love that. And so different, diverse, like such a jump from doing midwifery and nursing to then go and work in policy, ministerial life and all of those things. I'm curious, I'd love to tap into your midwifery experience because I think you're our first midwife on the podcast. There we go. So uh, you can have that badge, the High Performance Nursing Midwife. (laughs) And I'd love to tap into midwifery and to explore kind of what a day in the life looks like as a midwife or, you know, tell us more about midwifery and what you love about it. So I love, I love the fact that, you know, a midwife is working with women. That's the definition of midwife is um, with women. And then midwifery is the practice of working with women. And, you know, I've got to say, when I first jumped into it, I was clueless on what a midwife did. I was sitting there in the classroom thinking, each time we had a class, I went, do we do that? <laughs> oh, wow, we do that. That's amazing. <laughs> you know? So I was just blown away. And But what I love is that it's on a wellness model, you know, and midwife is the keeper of normal in most situations, childbirth and and raising children is a normal life event to experience. And 
the role of the midwife is to really focus in on the woman and what the woman needs and the woman in the context of her family and her environment and really pulling out the strengths of that woman because inherently she knows what to do and it's making her realise and believe that as well. So there's a big coaching role that comes with being a midwife and guiding a woman through her journey of pregnancy and childbirth and that creation of family. So, you know, I just love that and I love then the opportunity that you have with people to make social change to to try and, you know, really instill healthy behaviours because that first thousand days of a child's life will set our blueprint for life and it creates the emotional ecology that will shape us as we go on. And so we have that moment there. So a lot of my work, I really, probably from my defence experiences and dealing with some of these other families, I've really honed into how do we keep a family connected and how do we ensure that a child is raised in a safe, healthy environment. So so that's my focus as a midwife. I haven't worked in, in a birth suite, you know, since St George. It's all been antenatal care, postnatal care and education. But, you know, you're there right at the beginning and, you know, the impact you can have on a person will last a lifetime as well. Such a precious role I always think midwives play. Like, you know, nurses, midwives, we're all very valuable and, and we do amazing work. But I just think it must be so special to be there at any stage throughout the journey of a mother's and a family's process in giving birth and having their first baby or having a second baby. I just think it must be so special. Heidi's lamb. It's something that I would love to experience, but I'm also a little bit scared. <laughs> uh, it is. Actually, I was just preparing a report to talk to school kids on the Bucree. And, you know, it's a great opportunity to even educate people about what a midwife is and what the role of a midwife is, whether it's their interest in their profession or even for their personal growth about, oh, I didn't know that. Because what we know, best outcomes for mums and babies is if they've had the continuous care of a known midwife throughout their pregnancy and birth, their birth outcomes and their long-term outcomes are much more positive too. So it's that educational touch point, taking the fear out of childbirth and empowering that woman with what she's been blessed with to kind of utilise and regardless of how the baby's born, to have that that they have that power over their decision-making and that they really felt like they were in control of their whole journey along the way. So it's quite a unique moment to be a part of and every woman's unique and every birth that every woman has is unique. So it's keeping that story special for them as well. I love that so much. And you might be listening to this on any other day, but today we're recording it on International Women's Day. So I think it's worthwhile just acknowledging that women, you, you're you all amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even imagine going through that process and to have somebody like you, Julie, there to support them through that and to be, you know, a safe space, safe haven for them to go through such a life-changing event. Phenomenal. Yeah. It's so, so amazing, very inspiring. For people that are looking to midwifery and want to explore midwifery, what advice would you give them if they're sitting on the fence? And I know there's lots of people in the, the network, high performance network, that are like, oh, I've thought about it. I don't know. What would you say to them? Oh, do you know, if you're thinking about it, just investigate it as well. You know, jump onto the Australian College of Midwives. What does a midwife do? 
you know, and there's a lot of advocate groups out there as well, um, talk to a midwife. And also just give it a shot. If you're thinking about it, just do it, you know. And if you realise it's not something you're interested in, well, then at least you're not going to wonder anymore. <laughs> so, mm, yeah, exactly. Try it. <laughs> Explore it. You know, you've got that. Yeah, give it a try. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, follow follow your gut as well. Mm. You know, it's a good opportunity. Certainly what holds us back is that financial investment for learning and education. You know, So I do appreciate that it's not always an easy decision to make, but you know, enrolling through a university, you always have an opportunity. You know, it's about the first four weeks and then you can withdraw without financial penalty. So, you know, you have that opportunity to put your toe in the water and take a dip. For sure, yeah. Just explore it and sample. Mm. And I think even as an RN, like you might even find in your hospital there might be opportunities to go and work as an RN within the you know, the birth like not in the birth suite, I don't know midwifery very well, but mm. within the unit, the department, potentially on a casual basis or something to go in and help. There might be opportunities like that there to get exposure. It might be something worth exploring as well. Yeah. Mm. Certainly in the last couple of years I've noticed, you know, COVID's had quite a burnout on the profession and it's lot of exhausted health professionals out there so because all the antenatal education classes and I was casual working in that space but they were all ceased and so I said I'd be available for the postnatal ward and so I've been working every second weekend helping out postnatal and Sunday when I was there you know, there's still there might have been two midwives two registered nurses but and lovely to see some of our former students that have come through. You know, here I am handing over to someone that was my <laughs> undergraduate nursing student a couple of years ago. You know, That's awesome. Really sweet. They're critiquing my handover ability, I'm sure. <laughs> 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 oh my God, Julie, this isn't how you taught it. But, um, yeah, so, you know, there certainly is, there's always spaces to do that. Mm. And, you know, and certainly very different professions now. So when I trained, it was a specialty of nursing and now it's a separate profession to nursing and, and separate post-grad, sorry, professional development qualifications with APRA. I need to maintain currency and, and I need to show that I am meeting all those professional development milestones mm. for both registrations. So, you know, it's that extra time commitment. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And so it should be recognised as a separate, you know, entity for sure. It's amazing mm. work that you do. So lots of options for people that want to explore midwifery. Mm. You touched on uh, working with students there, and I'd love to dive into that because I know we have a lot of students that listen to the podcast from all different walks of life and different universities across Australia. So you've done, you've worked extensively as a clinical facilitator. So I think it'd be good to give them insights into a day in the life of a clinical facilitator, what that kind of looks like, and what you're really looking for when you come and see your students on placement. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And I, I love working with students. You know, it's, again, everyone's you've got a unique story. We don't have a one-size-fits-all student model, do we? But what we do, we do have is that, professional requirement that we have that ultimately we need to meet not just a university requirement and a course outcome requirement and we also have a professional standard of practice that we need to achieve by the end of the three-year degree. So the main things that we're looking for out on placement we're looking at professional behaviors our knowledge and our skills. 
So skills, I can teach anyone a skill. The knowledge is needed because we need to understand when to apply a skill or when not to apply a skill and what's the consequence of doing all of this. So, you know, and that can be developed as well with study and learning. The attitude is the thing that you bring. (laughs) And, you know, my mantra with students lately has been just get comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm. Because you will be uncomfortable when you're in a new environment. It is human behavior. And you're a human first, a registered nurse, student, nurse, midwife, whatever other job description we have. That comes second, that you're a human. So we're going to behave like a human whenever <laughs> we're nervous. So we're going to turn up to placement first couple of days really nervous and stressed. But we can check in on our attitude. We can show that we're enthusiastic, that we're keen to be there, that we're polite, that we're on time, that we're, you know, really active in part of our learning. So they're the things I like to see. You know, a bit of nerves and a bit of shake, no problem. It shows you human. <laughs> mm, for sure. I love that. And I think something else then, Liam, too, you know, having that preparation before we go to placement is always a good thing. It helps settle some nerves down. But really tells us that you are interested and that you're keen to be there and you're seeing the role quite seriously. Mm. And then good habits to be in for when you're applying for a job later. You always want to do a bit of research on where you're going Mm. and what you're doing. I love that. I think sometimes in my experience, working alongside you and working as a clinical facilitator, sometimes we might forget that it's an opportunity to network and to potentially plant the seed for future employment. Mm. And I think a lot of people forget that, that, you know, the manager, the educator, the level two, the senior nurse might be on your interview panel when you go to interview (laughs) and you don't want to mess it up. You don't want to already, you know, have a downside or like have a negative on your scorecards, for example, for turning up late or doing something on placement that was outside your scope and having a bit of attitude about it or something like that. So we've got to make sure that we really use those opportunities to network and build a professional brand, ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, what can become really stressful for students is, you know, and even my experience as a midwife, new parents, new students, whenever we're new at something, it's like, oh, my goodness, everybody's telling me how to do this different. So now that can be hard to unpack, but when we stand back from that, it's what we need to look at is are the principles the same? So, you know, that I might have a different approach in how I do it, but I'm still following an overarching principle or I'm still working in a policy framework and I'm still meeting a legal requirement of responsibility and accountability. So I'm going to learn something different from each person that I meet and then I'm in an opportunity to just cherry pick all the good stuff. Mm. I can also look at the stuff that I think, gee, I don't quite like that. And then I can fold that away in the what not to do column. You know, how do you engage with a person? Or, you know, if, if a student finds it really difficult to communicate with someone, it's like, well, watch the ones that you think are great at it and make some notes. What makes them great? What are they doing? How do they approach a day? How do they talk to people? And study that and analyse it. We often get fixated on placement that I need to do a med round and I need to do a dressing. I need to put up an IV. And, you know, these things, the more we do it, the better we get at that. 
and they can be learned really easily. But those soft skills about human interaction and how do you get data from another person mm. without them feeling like you've just interrogated them. <laughs> you know, they have things to observe because some people are masters of that and they're really good. So using placement to do that, watching and listening, not just the doing. It comes back to that task focused approach, doesn't it? You know, if we look at the career or the jobs day-to-day as tasks, mm. like the patient's going to feel like it's just a task. You're taking it off your list. And that's part of the placement experience is bringing your theory, putting it into practice. Like you say, cherry picking who you like and what they do and their approach to it mm. whilst adhering to the principles. I'm curious because often we come across students that are having maybe not such great time on placement. And it could be for an array of factors, but I know a lot of students struggle with getting the right support, getting the right kind of mentorship, guidance. Some of them might even experience kind of bullying or kind of unprofessional behaviours. How should or could a student navigate that if they were experiencing that on placement? Yeah, sure. And look, it does come up. The hard part about placement is all these people that you wouldn't normally work with and then you're kind of really close to them and feeling quite vulnerable and exposed. So in the first instance, I think just taking a step back because we often have to think, what am I bringing to this, right? And just pause. What's my role here? And what is going on for that person? Like these behaviours that they're having quite abrupt, they're quite, they seem to be hostile towards me. I'm taking offence, right? I wonder what's going on for them as well. Are they having a hard day? Are they, are they stressed about the caseload? Am I pushing their buttons? And, you know, so I guess the second thing to do if feeling safe, it's even just asking the person you're working with, are you okay? Mm. Yeah. And am I, am I giving you more work today? <laughs> you know, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes just calling them on that, they're not even aware of their behavior. Mm. So in most situations, that's really what's happening. And when we call them out, they go, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Mm. Or go to your facilitator because it is hard to be the new person and it is hard to feel junior and feel intimidated. So your facilitator or the team leader is often there and saying, look, I'm having a hard day today. I'm not sure what it is. Have you got any tips for working here today? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So often the people we work with might be just struggling as well. Like we don't know what's going on in their life. They might have a child that they're worrying about, an old parent that's stressing them out, financial worries. We don't know any of these stories as well. Or they're just exhausted. They haven't had a holiday in a while, so they're running on fumes. It's also quite stressful to be thinking about five people or four people and stay across it. So outwardly they might look like they're not really engaged with you, but really what's happening is their brain is just being used up by all the people that they're trying to keep track of as well. Mm. And what you're talking about there is that development of the skill of situational awareness from the student's perspective. Do you know, it's like sometimes nurses are rude and nurses can be unprofessional and that needs to be escalated in that setting for sure and follow the channels. Mm. I don't suffer in silence, you know, talk through it, work through it. Mm. To optimise your placement experience, you might only be there for two weeks. You've got to make mm. the most of it. But it is situational awareness, reading the room, reading the caseload, 
do they have a couple of unwell patients today? Yeah. And I love that. I love that. Are you okay? And am I adding to your workload? And is there anything that I can do differently? And maybe it's a day where you don't ask as many questions. Maybe it's just a bit more of an observational day, for example, True, yeah. rather than being like, I think so too. But my facilitator said I've got to do all the meds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Because there's so many other things we can learn, isn't there? Mm. You know, I don't believe there is any such thing as a nothing happening to a placement. Oh, never. Yeah. You know, whenever you are working with another human, there's a lot happening. And there is the story of that other person that you can learn and, and grow from as well. You know, every person you meet has a story. Well, every somebody is a somebody. Yeah. I love that. And you raise a valid point there because often when we walk around as facilitators, we say, hey, how's your day going? What's happening? And the first thing that you should never say to a facilitator is <laughs> nothing. No, it's pretty boring. <laughs> it's pretty boring. There's nothing happening. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I've never been bored in my nursing career in my life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there is always something to be done, even if it's learning how to clean the equipment. Mm. Like all of that's beneficial and important because at the end of the day you're going to be bloody doing it as a registered nurse or a midwife i know i know we're going into the treatment room and playing hide and seek kind of thing or find and seek mm. just thinking where is anything mm. when you have five minutes yeah. running through the emergency equipment checking all the rooms the emergency equipment in all the room you can never do that enough yeah looking at the resource trial mm. And rechecking it, even if somebody's already checked it, just have a look. Yep. Like, do you know what the equipment is and what it's used for? Mm. Just pulling up a chair next to the, you know, the old guy in room three, mm. just saying, "Hey, Ted, how you doing today?" Mm. And having a story and looking at what's on their desk and what's in their room and thinking, "Okay, this is a way for me to develop my small talk and my therapeutic conversation and getting used to." talking to someone who I haven't met before. Mm. You know, we can never get enough practice at doing that. Never. And particularly the last couple of years we've been removed from people, haven't we? Mm. So, you know, if we're somebody that doesn't like or feel like we're quite shy and introverted anyway, this is a great opportunity our own place to jump out there. Mm. You know, I've got some first-year nursing students now that are teaching the labs, and I love it. It always grounds me and brings me back to the beginning of what's really important. And, you know, saying to them, this is, you know, if you go to a fancy dress party and you're dressed up as Catwoman or bloody Spider-Man or whatever, you you become that person and you become this brave, fearless person and you behave in a different way, don't you? You know, put on a wig or a funny hat, you're somebody else. <laughs> So in that way, putting on your nursing uniform, it's the same thing. It's your Batman suit. <laughs> mm. And you now play a role. You say, right, the role I need to play here is someone who is more confident than they feel <laughs> mm. and more braver than they look. Mm. You know, I'm never going to fake my confidence, but I can, I mean, my knowledge, but I can't fake my confidence in this mm. story here today. Mm. So... You know, the, the shirts, the superpowers that we have and we can hide our true self and leave it in the car. But while I've got that shirt on, this is the role I'm going to play today. Mm, I love that. That's such a good visual. <laughs> and I always say to people, confidence just comes from taking action. Like confidence doesn't come from watching it for the 20th time. It comes from doing it. Yeah, that's right. After you feel comfortable to do it, you know. 
So a lot of people will say, oh, but I'm not confident yet to do that. Like confidence isn't going to come and hit you in the face and say, hey, you're ready. No. <laughs> you're oh, yeah. never going to be ready. No, that's right. So just do it. Do it safely under supervision within your scope, right. within the university agreement mm. and rip the bandaid off. And like you said, get comfortable being uncomfortable. I love that yeah. so much. Yeah. I wanted to ask about GPA very quickly because now you're working in the academic space and you're lecturing yeah. and a lot of people ask me this question and I'd love your academic take on it. <gasps> uh, the question is around should students be really hyper-focused and worried about their GPA to be able to land a job? Oh gosh, no. No. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> good. <laughs> you know, I... Um... You, know, give, you want to try your best. Of course. Like, do you want a nurse that just scraped over the line <laughs> because they didn't put any work in? No. Like, you know, because I know we often hear people say, please get degrees. Oh, God. And they do. But is that who you want looking after you and anyone you care about? So just keep that in your mind. Is this, is this the best care I can give somebody? That's kind of what you want. So we need to meet the course outcome. And we need to meet a professional standard of practice. Then we need to pull it all together. So I might have a great GPA, but if I can't pull out that knowledge when I'm out in a, a clinical situation, my GPA is not going to get through mm. and is not going to help the person that's standing in front of me that day. So, yeah, no. <laughs> sure, we all want that. awards. We want great. But <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're so right. And Ultimately, GPA might form, and for people listening, it might form a part of the recruitment process, but it's a very small portion. Mm -hmm. It might be something that they add up. Right. You know, you get X for like 20 marks for your interview, 20 marks for your CV, yeah. 20 for your cover letter, and then, you know, your GPA is rated. And that's how it will be factored in. Yeah. It's not going to be, oh my goodness, the GPA is so low. No. When you've got glowing references, you've got an amazing professional application, you nailed the interview. Mm -hmm. I mean, any sensible recruiting manager I would say okay we'll look past the GPA because some people are just more practical and less theoretical and less evidence like less mm. academic in nature and they're just more hands-on and vocation that's right that's right and really what we want to know is is this person safe mm. right is this person understanding of their requirements and responsibility of registered nurse right their first year out, so there's no way this person's an expert. Actually, I finished so last century. I do not know everything. <laughs> and the day that I, you know, I think the day that you think you know everything is the day to move on hmm. because there's always something to learn. There's a new evidence base. There's a new change in policy. There's a new way of doing things. We're going to always be open to influence of somebody else and have that ability to change our practice and adapt our practice according to the situation we're in. And that's really important. We want to see that in a student and a new, new registered nurse. So are you safe? Do you know your role responsibilities? Will you escalate? Do you acknowledge when you're out of your comfort zone and will you call for help? Mm. Are you a team player? Mm. Are you going to deregulate conflict or are you going to be the source of conflict you know mm. so they're the things that are more important you know academic achievement is there but you know it's like that old saying 
is wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge, knowing tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing what to put in a fruit salad. <laughs> it's like it's the same thing. <laughs> um, love that but so I know much. how to apply your knowledge. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad we busted that myth here on the high performance nursing because it comes up all the time and it creates so much drama for people, so much mind drama, so they can come back and listen to this and be reassured. I wanted to wrap up and finish on your current kind of position. So you have lots of you know fingers in all the pies, which is amazing. And I love that. But you're currently sitting on a high level board in Canberra mm-hmm. and you chair that board which is quite a different role for a nurse midwife to branch into. So how did that come about and kind of what does that involve? Yeah, right. So while I was I was the National Convener of Defence Families of Australia, so that was this ministerially appointed group representing defence families. And while I was there, private health insurance company called Defence Health approached me, diversifying the board, needed women on boards, but also well, there's a female who also understands families, who understands defence and, you know, asked me if I'd be interested in taking on this role. I think I had to Google what is a director, what is a non-executive <laughs> director, and they're going to put me on this company director course. Mm. So Canberra's an interesting space. There's a lot of post-nominals in Canberra and everyone talks about the qualifications. So I'm like, wow, I've got to look this one up too. <laughs> Okay, and we're going to put you on this course that starts tomorrow and here's two manuals that you have to read that are about three inches thick each and do this course, five-day course learning about company and it was a baptism of fire, but Mm. such an interesting space to be in. So, you know, I was in this role for eight years and What I found, you know, as a director of a company, you know, you're the kind of human face for the company and you set the blueprint for the strategy for the company and the policies and, you know, you're financially responsible and, you know, set the risk appetite and all of those sort of things, which are not nursing words (laughs) at all. (laughs) And so it's been interesting, but, you know, ultimately... I think the value proposition that we have as a nurse is that we understand people and we work with such a diverse amount of people and understand human need that we can start to piece this together. So whilst financial literacy might not be a strong point, it's always something that can be learnt mm-hmm. that you know, I had to be deliberate about learning it and following up on that. But really thinking on a critical level, those skills that we have, translate well into the boardroom. Mm. So as my tenure was coming up with Defence Health, Private Health Insurance, and I I chaired the Defence Health Foundation, which looked at research for people as part of the defence community. And, you know, so that kind of used my health mind too. It was quite lovely. And then there was an opening in Canberra for the Capital Health Network, so the Primary Health Care Network that really looks at primary health care and commissioning services to help address shortfalls in the public health system. So I joined that board and, and was appointed chair. And, you know, like all good nurses, we have imposter syndrome there. And <laughs> yeah. I had been working on Carolica programs, so drug and alcohol therapeutic communities, and it's a voluntary board. So I think it's always good to give back to the community and not-for-profit sector 
of an organisation that, that does incredible work in that vulnerable people space as well. And so tying that all together, I think it's great, particularly looking at primary health care, to be a nurse and have a voice there. We often dilute the voice of a nurse and healthcare is often guided and directed by the medical profession. Mm-hmm. And nurses have a lot to say in this space. You know, this year we just saw nurses become quite political. We saw our first strike in the New South Wales in 20 years. Usually we don't say much. And so it was great to see nurses out and saying, no, enough's enough because it's about patient safety and it's about our workforce need. Mm. So when we look at the needs of people in a primary healthcare environment, nurses know who works in that environment. They don't just sit in their own profession. They know that there's physios, they know there's pharmacists and allied health, you know. There's so many other avenues that are part of a a person's healthcare journey that, that should be tapped into. So... So I love that the nurse and the midwife in me is the chair of this board, mm. whilst Julie the human goes, oh, what are you doing, Julie? <laughs> I really love it that I give nurses and midwives a voice in that primary healthcare space. Yeah, that's so inspiring. I, the one thing that I noticed working with you and chatting to you today is just how inspirational it is to see you advocate on behalf of clinicians And I think that's something that drew us together when we were working together about how we really want to empower the workforce. Because you're right, like we're underrepresented at a high level and often it is medically driven. And I think the time has come for us to step forward and to be really vocal about what it is that people need. Because as we say all the time, and you just said there, we know what people want and need. We need to start making it happen. And I love that you chair this board and that you push your boundaries and you do all the hard things and you get comfortable being uncomfortable, and you've been able to create this really awesome, prosperous, diverse, dynamic career, keeping it super exciting, which is what we love on High Performance Nursing. (laughs) Love it. Thanks. Let's dive in. As we wrap up, let's dive into the rapid fire. Let's have a bit of fun and wrap up. And the point here is that they're just quick, quick and nasty, quick and dirty, and we'll see what comes up. So there's four questions. Are you ready? Okay. Let's do this. Okay. So this might be hard for you to choose, but what's your favorite, nursing or midwifery? It's <laughs> really hard. Oh, actually, I don't know if I can choose. Oh, I, I was both when I started and now it's a profession. One feeds the other one. So <laughs> I think I'm a better nurse because I'm a midwife and I'm a better midwife because I'm a nurse. Okay, I'll take that. You dodged How that one. How can we go with that? <laughs> <laughs> what would you say has been your most precious career moment? Hmm. I think speaking to a room full of secretaries and ministers from the US, Canada, Australia and New Zealand and telling them what families need in mental health space scared the death out of me, but gee, it stands out, made a difference. I love that. How influential. Love that. What's the best piece of advice that you would give to nurses and midwives? (laughs) Be kind to yourself. Yes. Be kind to yourself first. And the rest flows. Yes, be kind to yourself. And if you could give students, undergraduate students, one piece of advice or life lesson, what would it be? Just follow your gut and trust your instincts and be comfortable being uncomfortable. 
So good. I have to laugh. Like every time I record a podcast episode, Brene Brown gets a little shout out because every episode, <laughs> every episode, I'm com- you know, getting comfortable being uncomfortable comes up. But it's so true. Like growth does not come from your comfort zone, right? And you're a testament to that in your career. You have invested in yourself beyond the traditional nursing route and you've got uncomfortable. And you've pushed through it anyway, because we can do hard things, right? And we forget that as nurses and midwives, we can do hard things. Our job is extremely challenging. Oh, that's right. It is. And Liam, I guess the other thing, you know, a bad day has an ending as well. Yes. And so often we can go, you know, when I'm nearly at the end of this day, I'm going to flick it off and, <laughs> and start again. So, you know. So powerful. Julie, thank you so much for your time. If you want to get in touch with Julie, let me know, get in touch with me. But Julie, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your precious time and for sharing your career story with us. It's very inspiring and looking forward to see what you do next. Thanks, Liam. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) Good chatting. See ya. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast episode, please take a wee minute to leave a review. It would mean the absolute world to me. If you are ready to start taking action in your career and you need some support, why wait? Come and join my private Facebook community. The link is in the show notes below. Within the community, we take what we discuss in this podcast and we put it into action. Currently, I am looking for nurses who are ready to stop playing small and invest in themselves to create the life and the career they want to live. If that sounds like you, then please get in touch. Until next time, thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay forever curious, my nursing friends.